Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings live podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Or welcome for the first time. Or welcome to this very new sort of fangled thing we have going on. You may be listening to this as a podcast dropped as an audio feed on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network on Friday. Or... You may be listening to this live in the Locker Room app on Wednesday evening. I decided this offseason I wanted to do some things that would allow me to more directly engage with the community. And the Locker Room app is something I've been fiddling with since probably the beginning to middle of the 2020 NFL regular season. Given the fact that it's audio only, for clearly obvious reasons, it seems to fit the bill. No pun intended. So I decided I wanted to do something like this. I don't know if we're going to do it on Wednesday every week. I try really hard not to conflict with other things that are going on in the Buffalo Bills content creation community. But if you are listening to this live via the Locker Room application, this is kind of the way it works. At the bottom of your app, you will see a button to request to talk. If you have something you want to say, you can literally press that button. I can bring you up on stage with me, and I can listen to your take very much like I would in a radio show. You can talk to me live. I will then, after you're done with your take, I will put you back in the audience, and I will respond to it. It allows me to get the almighty takes in a different way and the questions in a different way than I historically would. Historically, I respond to them on the podcast via you know, some method like email or Twitter DM or Instagram DM or one of those things. And that's fine. We can do that too. But there's something particularly unique and particularly special about being able to do it this way. And this was an opportunity for me to do it this way. So that's exactly what we're going to do. Now, given the fact that I did not know at the time how many people I was going to actually get to do this, what I did was I essentially prepared a normal Friday podcast, the same way that I normally would have prepared a Friday podcast. And I'm essentially just essentially taping it in front of a live studio audience. So no editing, no cuts. If I misspeak, I misspeak. It's just the way it is. I'm going to say some weird things probably, and I'm not going to be able to fix any of it. So that's funny, maybe a lot more funny for you than it is for me, perhaps. But That's kind of the way we're going to do it. So what I'm going to try and do is kind of interweave 
the takes and the questions into what we are talking about. Now, I did want to talk about tight ends specifically for the Buffalo Bills this evening. But, you know, if the conversation goes in a different direction, the conversation goes in a different direction. So right now, for example, we have a gentleman who has a speaker request. And so I'm going to bring him up on stage and he's going to be able to say something to me and we're going to see how it goes. Of course, it's listed as Josh Allen, but we'll see. So you are now on stage with me right now. What Bruce, you got? First, first of all, I want to say uh, welcome to Locker Room Map, and already the energy you're bringing out the gate here is going to be, you know, very welcoming, and uh, it's going to be great uh, for, for the community here in Locker Room. Um, but my question is, uh, so reports came out today that J.J. Watt has narrowed his three choices down to, and again, this is just a report, but down to the Buffalo Bills, the Titans, and the Green Bay Packers. If you're the Buffalo Bills, what do you sell him on to sign here? And what are your thoughts on his potential fit and uh, potential ability to uh, be an, a, a good addition to this Buffalo Bills defense? Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. So here's what I would sell if I was the Buffalo Bills to J.A. Watt. I would say, listen, we have a system in place here, first off, that will allow you to stay fresh. You played over 90% of the snaps for the Houston Texans last year, and you were double teamed a lot. That's hard on your body. You're somebody who has admittedly struggled with injuries over the last five seasons. You completed two full seasons. And when those things start to accumulate over time, maybe you don't want to play 90% of the snaps anymore. I understand that you're an elite competitor, but in the interest of getting more out of your body and allowing you to stay fresher, we have a system in place to allow you to rotate in Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, AJ Epinesa. We have other players. We can kick you inside on third downs. We can play at base end on rundowns and we can do things systemically to help extend your career that I don't necessarily think that the Packers are going to be able to offer you. Now I understand that they're going to be able to offer you more defensive talent, but they've also got brand new defensive coordinator coming in. So you're coming in and learning around everybody else. Who are you going to get helped by? How is this transition going to be for you? Whereas in our system, we got vets all around you and a system that's in in place on the defensive side for multiple different years. So you can just walk right in and, you know, sit on down and start at base end in the early downs and kick inside on third downs and rotate and do all the things that you need to do to protect your body and elongate your career. That's the number one thing that I would say to them, you know, his agent, his representation, if you will. If I was Brandon Bean and I was talking to J.J. Watt's representation, we got somebody. Oh, my gosh, it's Anthony Marino. Anthony Marino wants to talk. Anthony, come on up. What you got for me, man? So, Bruce, I know that you want to see the Bills make an upgrade at cornerback, too. And every time I look at the prospects available in the draft, seems like at pick 30, there's really nobody that's that's a fit, right? That's a first-round fit. So if it were you and you were Brandon Bean and you're looking to the 2021 NFL draft, when and how are you going to address the cornerback position? Or are you just going to look to do something in free agency so you don't have to wait and see where things fall in the draft? The tricky thing about corner for me this year is exactly what you said. I don't necessarily know if there's someone I love at 30. I I like Israel Mukwamu on day two. I think that he helps you sort of get 
two birds with one stone. And what I mean by that is he, I think he can be that tight end eraser that we would like to see and can also play outside and you can have him as a boundary corner and then you can kick him inside to cover high value tight ends. And I think that there's value to that, but I have a feeling that most of the first round corners I really like are going to be off the board at 30 and anybody else might be a reach at 30. And so I think you're going to have to go to day two on this. And as much as I love the idea of picking a corner high, I just don't know if there's going to be great value. I've gone through a couple mocks so far, and I haven't found anybody that I've really loved at the 30th pick that I didn't feel like was a reach. But one of the things I love about mocks this time of year is they're kind of a little bad crap crazy because when free agency comes and goes, the team needs are going to be so different that the people I get at 30 could look very, very different post-free agency when I'm doing mock drafts than the people who I'm getting at 30 right now. So right now, I'm thinking day two, Mukwamu, Tyson Campbell, you know, somebody who's got tools on day two. But that could look very different depending on what the cornerback free agent market shakes out at. I don't love the corner free agent market. The name that constantly sticks out to me is William Jackson from the Bengals. I do think that that's a person who has played well, and I don't know if the Bengals are going to make a splash this year because if you remember correctly, the Bengals made a splash last year. I mean, DJ Reader was one of the biggest unrestricted free agent signings the Bengals have had in the last decade. And so I don't know if they're necessarily going to go break the coffers again two years in a row, a franchise that is not known for dabbling heavily in the unrestricted free agent market. So when you have scenarios like that, you think, okay, well, William Jackson under a different franchise might not necessarily reach the market. But if he does and the corner class, aside from, you know, Richard Sherman's going to be a popular take, I, I don't really feel strongly about getting Richard Sherman, not because he's not an upgrade, because he is an upgrade, but he doesn't allow you to do more things than you're doing. If anything, he crystallizes what the defense currently is. He's a super de duper cover three quarters style corner. He's really good at that thing. And so when you get a Richard Sherman, then you're kind of, you're kind of putting all your cards on the table at that point. You're saying, listen, this is who we are. We are going to be a cover three quarter style defense. We're going to lean into that. We're going to lean into that quote unquote identity, which I've always had a problem with this idea of identity, right? Your identity should be whatever it is that takes takes to win more often than not. And I really feel like you need to be multiple on defense to make that happen. And you're kind of giving up a little bit of that multiplicity when you sign Richard Sherman. So when it comes to free agent market, I'd love to see William Jackson, but he might get priced out because there's not a huge amount of corners on the market that I really like. You know, you got Jason Verrett and he struggled with serious, serious injury problems before last year in San Francisco, where he finally kind of put it all together. But you never know. He could just absolutely backslide into the issues that he had earlier in his career. There's just not an obvious answer. So I know that Brandon Bean is uh, pretty high on Dane Jackson. There's some uh, discussions in the comments right now about Brandon Bean being high on Dane Jackson. And I, listen, I'm high on Dane Jackson, too. But it's important that we understand that Dane Jackson is a maybe a slightly higher version of Levi Wallace if he gets a ceiling. I mean, you're not really upgrading athleticism when you substitute Levi Wallace for Dane Jackson. 
That's not what you're doing. You might be upgrading aggression at the catch point. Dane Jackson was aggressive in college. It was one of his great traits coming out of college. One of the reasons why people liked him. A lot of people thought he was going to be a nickel because of the lack of long speed, but the aggressiveness that he showed, you thought, Hey man, maybe he can kick inside the nickel. And I think he played well when given the opportunity, but lack of high level athletic traits is always going to kind of limit that idea. And of course I have Anthony Marino in the comments right now saying Travis Etienne at 30, just to kind of mess with me. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Okay. So moving along, um, unless anybody's got anything else they want to talk about, we're going to move along and we're going to talk a little bit about the tight ends. And specifically, we're going to talk about the tight ends because I had a piece on buffalorumblings.com where I specifically talked about the three-pronged approach that I think would behoove the Buffalo Bills to utilize to help upgrade the tight end position this offseason. I've been doing kind of a series of opinion pieces on buffalorumblings.com using these particular strategies, the pronged approach. Okay, do this, then this, then this. And then for this room, do this and this and this. And it all kind of started from the fact that the Brandon Bean press conference at the end of the year sort of put the tight ends on blast a little bit. I mean, he said, quote, it was never where opposing defenses were like, man, we've got to stop their tight ends from going off. So we'll look to that group. At the end of the day, we'd love to have a guy like what we just faced, referring to Travis Kelsey, but they don't come around very often. We've got some guys here we want to continue to develop and see what happens. Obviously, if there's ways to add competition, whether that's in free agency or the draft, we would do that as well. Basically, he understands the value of an impact tight end, but those players don't grow on trees. I mean, there's a reason why in the NFL it's, you know, Travis Kelsey and George Kill, Waller, and then you start to all of a sudden have a little trouble when you start to think about really dynamic tight ends. So it's not like you can just go out and grab one off the tight end tree. They don't make them like that. But three specific things that I think would help the Bills move forward with the tight end position. The first one is assume a Lee Smith retirement. And if not, encourage the retirement. Lee Smith has managed to build a career that has spanned over a decade in the NFL. He's earned over $21 million as a blocking tight end. That should speak to how well he's filled a niche role over the years. A release or retirement from the Bills gives the Bills $2.25 million in cap space. They incur no dead cap. And given the fact that we are in 2021 and cap space is at a premium, the Bills' first step toward obtaining better production out of their tight end group is clearing opportunities in 12 and 13 personnel for new blood. Because in 12 personnel, a lot of times that other tight end was Lee Smith. And Lee Smith doesn't give you dynamic downfield receiving ability. Unless he's wide open and Josh Allen hits him and he, he rumbles for 30 yards, which has been known to occur once or twice a year. Or he sneaks out the back on a tight end leak. Side note, tight end leak always works. It just always works. There's like a running joke with me and a few of my football compadres that tight end leak is undefeated. And Lee Smith was born for it in the red zone. But having someone who can contribute from 20 to 20 
is valuable. So let's go to step two. Step two, sign Dan Arnold away from the Arizona Cardinals. I recognize that Gerald Everett and Jonu Smith are garnering the most headlines. I completely understand that. And they're the tier two unrestricted free agent tight ends, given the fact that Hunter Henry is pretty much by himself in tier one. But might I interest you in a player below that tier? When you look at Gerald Everett and Johnny Smith, they're probably going to get between 7 and $9 million average annual value. Arnold is very likely to come in markedly cheaper, but had similar levels of production. And people kind of have a tendency to sort of leave that out. When Jared Cook had 504 yards, John o. Smith had 448, Dan Arnold had 438, Gerald Everett had 417. But one of those players is generally talked about at being a tier below the other two, and it's Dan Arnold. Now, part of that is because he's a little bit more specialized of a tight end, and he weighs in at the 220s. He's a big receiver, essentially. But he actually played close to the same percentage of snaps in line as Dawson Knox did. So if Dawson Knox can become your inline tight end, you can have Arnold do the things that Dawson Knox did in 2020. Dawson Knox, from the time he came out, was lauded as being a good blocker. So I have no problem with that as being sort of a way around this idea. That gives the Bills two legitimate receiving options in 12 personnel, which was not the case last year because it was Knox and Lee Smith because a healthy scratch was Tyler Croft for a lot of the year. That will force the defense into more precarious responses with their personnel groupings. Maybe they have to go nickel against 12 instead of staying in base because instead of Lee Smith, you have Dan Arnold. That changes things. So I'm completely cool with Dan Arnold from the Arizona Cardinals. Now you might be thinking, goodness gracious, we've lost a little blocking efficacy. We lost Lee Smith. What are we going to do with the blocking part of tight end? Let me introduce you to a player I think is the best blocker in the 2021 tight end class. Notre Dame tight end Tommy Tremble. Tremble bestows upon his opponents his surname. He makes them tremble when he initiates contact. Unless you think he's a Lee Smith. He's a glorified offensive lineman. Tremble ran a 4-6-3-40 coming out of high school. Now, for the last two years, he's been overshadowed at the position at Notre Dame by Cole Komet, who is now with the Chicago Bears, and this year, freshman star Michael Bayer. So he's been overshadowed. But remember, the draft is about traits, not production. It's not about how many passing yards you threw for, because, you know, Timmy Chang would have been really highly thought of. Case Keenum probably would have been a really high first-round pick. It's not about production. It's about traits. And Tremble can contribute right now as a blocker and all still offerings upside as an athletic receiver. I think Tremble's probably an early day three guy. I think that there's opportunity there. I think his routes need a lot of work. But one of the things you get from day three picks is what can you do for me right now? Can you help me on teams? Can you help me as a blocker? What can you do to help me right now on this team to make the team in 2021? So that's my three-pronged approach for the Bills tight end room in 
2021. Now, if you're listening to this in the podcast, this is where you're going to hear a commercial break. If you're listening to it live, you're not going to hear a commercial break, and we're going to be right back now. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Thanks for joining me again, guys. It's Bruce Nolan with the Bruce Exclusive Live coming to you on the Locker Room app or you're listening to this via podcast on Friday because you listen to it the day it drops, right? I mean, that's what people do. They listen to it the day it drops because they're super fans. And if you're a Buffalo Bills super fan, then you're probably doing that. And let's be honest, if you're listening to a Buffalo Bills podcast, you probably are a super fan. So here's what we're going to do. Before we get to the takes, Anthony Marino is back with something else. Anthony, let's talk. So, Bruce, there's been a lot of conversation about how the Bills can free up cap space this year, right? Talking about cutting John Brown or restructure, Mario Addison, Quentin Jefferson, Butler. I mean, from your perspective, which moves are you making and how are you freeing up space, one, so they can be active in free agency, but know there's plenty of guys that they might want to re-sign. You know, we talk about an Andre Roberts, a Daryl Williams, of course, John Feliciano. Where do you stand with all of this? I think the easiest cut on the entire possible roster is Vernon Butler. I think Vernon Butler is the, the one that immediately sticks out to me as an easy cut with $8 million or so that you can get back from Vernon Butler cut. I don't think he reached the potential that you started to see a little bit of. I thought it was a weird signing when it happened because Vernon Butler kind of had his quote-unquote breakout season that looked a little bit like Jordan Phillips's breakout season, who we let walk. And when I say it looked like a little bit like Jordan Phillips's breakout season, it was that the pressure to sack ratio was really weird. In addition to that, the weirdness associated with that unsustainable ratio of pressures to sacks. In addition to that factor, Carolina started throwing a lot more three, four looks in 2019. And when that happened and you had a player like Vernon Butler, who was kind of being talked about like he was a bust, he suddenly played five tech and started playing a little bit better as a two gapper. Then you think to yourself, okay, now he's coming to a four, three team. So, His best year ever happened in a position he's not going to play here, and it also had the same unsustainability factors that kind of concerned us about the player we let walk. So that seemed a little weird. So Vernon Butler, right off the bat, I would probably go ahead and cut. I'm very much interested in an extension for John Brown to add another year to his deal to lower that cap hit. I do not want to thrust the number two wide receiver spot on Gabriel Davis before he's ready. Those are two that I immediately think of off the top of my head. I understand that you may have to let some players walk. I totally get that. There are a couple simple restructures that can be done. Deion Dawkins comes to mind as far as converting salary to signing bonus and be able to you know, understand that you're going to have these players around because picking and choosing the restructures is really important because when you do a simple restructure and you take salary to signing bonus, that becomes kind of crystallized 
as a contract. And it becomes a lot harder to get out of without ramifications. So you got to be picky about who you do it with. But those are three maneuvers off the top of my head that immediately kind of stick out. So Tamir wants to talk about the Stefan Diggs contract. Tamir, you're on, man. Hook me up. You are muted, my man. Don't know if you know that or not, but you're muted right now. Hey. And you're muted again. All right, Tamir. All right, sorry, dude. You couldn't get it quite figured out there, but that's all right. That's completely fine. It happens. This is It's a live thing. It happens sometimes, and you're not able to make it work. I, I literally did a test room with my wife at like 7.15 to make sure I understood the controls because I was scared to death that I was going to get in here and not be able to control it because this is kind of weird. You're trying to produce, you're trying to talk, you got a computer screen in front of you, you've got all these buttons in front of you. It's a little bit weird, I'm not going to lie. So I actually went to a test room with my wife and I went to the other end of the, the house and I was like, hey, sweetheart, will you, will you help me out here? And so she signed in as Grace Nolan and it was here. I asked her if she was going to be on the show and she was like, no, no, I'm not going to be on the show. I'm not <laughs> but... It's, it's, it's completely cool. So I, I, he wanted to talk about the Stefan Diggs contract. And I don't know what he wanted to talk about specifically in regards to the Stefan Diggs contract, but I'll go ahead and pivot to that right now while we're talking about it. So Stefan Diggs is very clearly somebody who deserves a raise. There's not a question. He deserves a raise. I think that there's a way to be able to do this and still be able to understand that this year might not be the best year to take a higher cap hit. So we can do that without necessarily giving him a higher cap hit. We can take some of his salary and convert it to a signing bonus as part of a restructure that pushes money forward and also gives him more money in future years. So that's a possibility that can absolutely happen. Nick, I'm bringing you on. Nick Merck, you are on right now. What you got for me, buddy? And Nick is gone. No worries at all. Hey, we keep rolling. It's just the way it happens. I'm going to take an almighty take here that I got in the email from Patrick. Patrick said, Bruce, love the pod. Thanks very much. In a desert of sports, hot takes and oversimplified sensationalism, your pod is an oasis of data-driven insight informed by a probabilistic mindset and precise thinking. Thank you so much, Patrick. I appreciate that. Here is my almighty take, and I'm praying to the almighty it doesn't come true. Some material portion of Josh Allen's success somewhere Greg Tomsett's ears are ringing because he said material. Some material portion of Josh Allen's success this year was due to the lack of large crowds. In particular, the lack of crowd noise allowing him to stay calm and stick to his newly learned habits and routines throughout the game, as opposed to getting emotionally excited and then pressing and making bad decisions. It's hard to quantify, I know, but is it a legitimate worry? He's an emotional, competitive dude. I'm thinking that a big part of his game is mental and emotional and wondering whether and to what extent crowd reaction plays into that. Thanks again for the pod. All the best to you and the misses, Pat. Okay, so I've actually heard this talked about a couple different times from a couple of different people. And one of the things that's really interesting about Josh Allen is that we have seen quarterbacks in the past fiddle with their mechanics in the offseason. 
famously, Tim Tebow had this big, looping, windy throwing motion. And when we saw him, you know, kind of post-draft and he was working on it, and then all of a sudden he get inserted into a regular season game and there it was again. Because when the bullets start flying, you have a tendency to not remember and muscle memory takes over. Josh Allen didn't have that happen to him. And the reason I bring this up is because I do understand the concern. I do. I totally understand the concern as to why people knowing that Josh Allen's an emotional guy and a fiery competitor, why it is that he might be a little bit, just a tiny bit perturbed by the sudden introduction of crowd noise in 2021 after he wasn't subject to it in 2020. I totally get that. Like, I understand that logic. However, if he was the kind of guy whose stuff would break down by the presence of the bullets flying, metaphorically speaking, talk about crowd noise, I think we would have seen that happen with his mechanics. But we didn't. The hip, the opening, the little hot move that he does now with his left side to make sure that he's opening up his left side while he throws the ball, that was consistent throughout the entire year, even when 300-pound men were trying to smack the crap out of him. So when things like that happen, it gives me sort of it gives me some confidence that I really think that Josh Allen's capable of sticking to the things that he's learned and translating that over into a real live game. And I, I'm not really that worried about it. I, I understand that people could be worried about it, but I'm trying not to not to really freak out about it because he's already done things that are very difficult to carry over to real games. Okay, Bryce. My man, you got a speaker request. You are up. Let's talk. What you got for me? Yeah, so so I have a live almighty take. Um, so I'm actually th- this one I actually uh, initially saw in a comment on the Athletic, and when I first saw it, I thought it was a little ridiculous. Um, but I've done some more thinking about it. And um, what if the Bills packaged John Brown um, with that first round pick instead of cutting him? And, and used it to maybe get a better trade-down deal than they would otherwise get. Uh, John Brown knows he's not going to get $9 million, uh on the open market. So I think he, he might be willing to work with the Bills, find a destination that he wouldn't hate, um, potentially maybe even Jacksonville. M- might be crazy. Um, but, but maybe there's a team out there who'd be interested in John Brown uh, as a sweetener in a potential first-round pick trade-down. I like that. I like it a lot, Bryce. Thanks so much for coming up and, and giving I had never even considered it until you just said it now. So you're getting a live response from Bruce Nolan on this particular topic. I do wonder if the sweetener would matter more if it wasn't 2021. Because so you just said, and I agree with you, that I don't think John Brown would get $7.9 million on the open market right now. So it would work specifically with Jacksonville, as you said, because they have cap space. But it also limits your potential from a trade-down standpoint because a lot of people are not going to view John Brown at $8 million as a sweetener. They're going to view it as an anchor instead of a sweetener. So I think it's absolutely possible. It just limits your ability to communicate that same trade-down with as many teams as humanly possible. I love the idea, quite frankly. I don't think it's insane now i don't love the idea of getting rid of john brown but i love the creativity that comes from i'll give you this first round pick 
and John Brown, but you got to give me a second and a third now instead of giving me a second and a fifth. So I, I completely understand that completely. Okay. Tamir, we're going to give it another shot, man. Let's see if you can come up here, have a discussion. Make sure you're not on mute. Oh, hey, what's up? My my, my mic wasn't working before. I just got to say, I think John Brown is pretty overrated. I think we can easily let him go. I think he's very expandable. You know what I mean? Now, tell me, what makes you think he's overrated? See, I just don't think he has good agility. Doesn't think he has good agility. Okay, all right. Cool. Thanks, Tamir. I appreciate that, man. So the thing for John Brown that I think is interesting when you have – scenarios come up about John Brown's efficacy and his value to this team is that before he got to Buffalo, the book on John Brown was that John Brown was a deep threat guy. That's it. That's all he was. And one of the reasons I think he wanted to come to Buffalo was to prove he was an all around receiver to prove that he could run the entirety of the route tree and watching him be able to run the entire route tree and be able to separate in the short area I think has value. Now, I'm not saying John Brown is a wide receiver one, and the Bills don't uh, the Bills don't think so either. Because if they did, they wouldn't have gone out and gotten Stephon Diggs. So I do think that there's a potential that you could be right that John Brown could be overrated. It depends on where you're rating him. I don't rate him as an upper echelon franchise wide receiver. I do, however, rate him as a perfectly solid and good wide receiver too. And I've also rated him at a position and a specific level that I don't think Gabriel Davis has hit yet. So whether or not he's overrated or not is basically dependent on where it is you rate him. If you think he's a wide receiver one and we didn't really need to add Stefan Diggs, then I would probably disagree with that. I think the results that Stefan Diggs has shown have proven that he was a valuable asset to be able to go get that could help take this offense to the next level. And even knowing what Justin Jefferson did in Minnesota, I would still make that trade for Stephon Diggs 10 times out of 10, even with a more expensive player, I would still do it. Seeing the way that Stephon Diggs has responded to Josh Allen to see the way that he has responded to this offense. I wouldn't trade that for Justin Jefferson right now. Now, I understand that he's a cheaper player as being a first-round pick on a rookie deal, but I don't know if I get that same kind of production from Justin Jefferson if he's thrust into the wide receiver one role in Brian Dable's offense. I don't I don't know if I get that. I don't know if I get the same vet savvy. I don't know if I get the trust, the instant chemistry that I got from Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. I don't know if I get that. So I'd still take it. So I think it depends a lot on how you feel about John Brown with what you're rating him. I'm completely comfortable saying John Brown is a reasonable, solid wide receiver too. I'm good with that. I don't think that statement is overrating him at all. So I don't think so at all. Sean says, what would an extension for John Brown look like? Okay, so what you could potentially do is you could tack on another year for John Brown, and you could lower his salary this year to $5 million from $7.9 million, and then tack on another $4 million next year, but you make it guaranteed. So it's very similar. It's kind of inverse to what they did with Tyler Croft, where they gave him more guaranteed money, but they cut off a year. Here you're giving him less guaranteed money this year, because right now he, you know, he has seven point nine if he stays on the, the team. Right? You take it down to $5 million, you add $4 million next year, and 
you know, you call it a day. You understand that he knows that you don't have the ability to go out on the market and get $7.9 million. You probably don't. But you have a good thing here. You know the system. You know the offense. You're probably going to be wide receiver too, you know, because Gabriel Davis isn't ready yet. So you can save a couple million right there by doing that. It's just a one-year extension on the top. Greg Tomsett's talked about it before. I think we actually, I think Greg talked about it on Twitter not too long ago. So it's a possibility for sure. And I think it's much better than just cutting him because the solution oftentimes to salary cap in a fan's mind is just cut him. Just cut him. That's all you got to do. Well, there's other ways to get creative aside from just cutting him. Don't get me wrong. There are circumstances where cutting him is the best thing. I already mentioned that I would move on from Vernon Butler. That's an easy cut for me. But there are other scenarios where it's not that simple because if you cut someone and you create a hole by that release, then you have to fill that hole and filling that hole takes assets. And if it takes at or greater than the assets that you accumulated when you cut them, then you didn't really save anything. You know, if you cut John Brown and then you have to go out and sign a wide receiver two for $6 million and he was 7.9, you only saved $1.9 million. You didn't save $8 million because you have to assume that sometimes when you cut people, holes are created. I think when you cut Vernon Butler, I don't think you created a hole. I don't think you created a hole at all. I think you just cut someone who, quite frankly, I think was outplayed by Justin Zimmer this year. So that's kind of the way I feel about that. Sean, thanks a lot for the question. So Mark wrote in and Mark had an almighty take about Salem's hot dogs because I had a discussion about Salem's hot dogs on Twitter. And he openly told me that you must firmly, gently heat the hot dog over indirect heat until it plumps up and looks like it's going to pop. Then you got to move it directly over the coals and slice it open to encourage char. Any other method just turns it into a regular hot dog. So I, I promise you, Mark, I will do something different with the Salem's hot dogs next time because sample size is important and we care about that. But Max is here with me live. Max, what you got for him, man? What's up, Bruce? Uh, I got to say that's uh, that's interesting about the hot dogs. I'd never thought about uh, the intricacies of uh, cooking a hot dog. But anyways. Yeah, apparently um, there's a strategy to this I didn't know anything about. I was also not familiar. So uh, very interesting. Anyways, um, so I want to talk about the um, idea of trading in the draft. So I think a lot of people have the narrative that trading down is a good idea. Um, my pivot to that is that the last time the Bills had a big trade down was in 2017 with the famed trade out of the Patrick Mahomes pick, pick Tredavious White. But I think a lot of people forget that despite the fact that Brandon Bean was hired right after um, that draft, about a month later, I believe, uh, a lot of people think that Bean made that pick, but he didn't. Uh, it was actually Doug Whaley's regime, even though I don't think Whaley is running that draft because right after the draft, he was fired, like the day after, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. of the third day, he was fired. Um, so I just want to get your thoughts there. Uh I don't think that the Bills are a trade-down candidate because um, Bean has shown to be very aggressive in moving up. I don't think he's ever traded down, uh, to my knowledge. Um, so I just want to get your thoughts there. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Max. I appreciate that. So 
I am absolutely hashtag team trade down this year. I, I, I will make that openly open to anyone who will listen that I am team trade down this year. And the reason why I'm team trade down is because you have your quarterback. And I think that when you have your quarterback and you are approaching the time in the next two years, if Josh Allen signs an extension, that cap hit's going to get messy fast. And one of the ways you can continue to get good teams on the field is by hitting on draft picks. And now obviously trading down doesn't guarantee you're going to hit on draft picks. That's not what it does. But one of the best values you can possibly have in all of sports is an impact player on a rookie contract because the gap between their contribution and their salary is so high. Look at someone like Matt Milano. Matt Milano picked in the fifth round. His total career earnings up to this point are just north of $4 million total for his career. And he's been a good starter for multiple years on this defense. That's the way you maximize value for your team is by hitting on a draft pick. Now, when you have a quarterback who is making 40 plus million dollars a year, which let's be honest, if Josh Allen signs an extension this year, he won't be having that cap hit this year, but he will soon have that cap hit and have that average annual salary. That's going to happen. There was a discussion on an episode of the Bruce exclusive not too long ago that was about, hey, Josh Allen maybe take a hometown discount. At this point, $40 million might be a hometown discount. If Josh Allen rolls out as the second highest paid quarterback in the league, that might be a hometown discount. In case you think I might be wrong, Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo were both the highest paid quarterback in the NFL at one point. So <laughs> there are players who can eventually become the highest paid at a very important position, and they didn't necessarily earn it. But when you have a quarterback sucking up that type of cap room, then I think it's even more important to be able to get a large quantity of good value players. And you do that by trading down. You do that by acquiring more draft picks because Brandon Bean's not going to be able to have a 2019 or a 2020 free agency every year when Josh Allen's making $40 million a year. He can't be that aggressive in free agency. And I think one of the reasons he was super aggressive in the draft is because he was super aggressive in free agency. He was essentially plugging holes in free agency and then going and grabbing star talent in the draft. Well, that that doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work when you have a quarterback making $40 million a year. So that strategy has to change. You're right. He's never traded down. I hope that that, tra that changes now because you're in a new phase of team building now. Once you pay the quarterback, you've got kind of a ticking time bomb until that starts to kind of negatively impact your cap situation. And I don't mean that as a bad thing because quite frankly, we're all just searching for a quarterback who is worthy of a contract that's going to hurt the gap. That's why we trade up in the first round to take Josh Allen in the hopes that he's going to be a good enough player to ruin the cap. No, I'm just joking about ruining the cap, but you just want a quarterback who's good enough to ruin the cap. That's what you want. And so when that happens, you got to sort of change. So I'm absolutely on board with trading down. I recognize he's never done it, but I hope he does. Patrick, you're up right now. What's going on, dude? Hey, Bruce. It's uh, Pat Miller out here in uh, Washington State. I'm out here on the West Coast. And um, hey, Pat, it's really cool doing, that you're – I'm good, bro. It's, it's re I really appreciate doing this. This is, re this is really cool. and really. I appreciate you being here, man. 
of course it's not the end of the work day you know we got got a little bit of downtime and told my folks i'm gonna listen to some uh some bruce exclusive uh on the locker room <laughs> app I, sure. I appreciate that man yeah hit me, but hit me I'm, with no, the so, question yeah i, I want to talk um or actually i had a question and it has to do with the g lot or with the d line and i wanted to you know the the st- stating the obvious with jj watt right like that's mm-hmm. everybody's on the edge of their seat you know is he where's he gonna sign um we're all kind of keeping our fingers crossed but let's say you know let's say you know worst case scenario whatever he, he goes to green bay or tennessee and he doesn't sign with the bills my question for you is what do you think we're going to do or what do you think they're going to do about the d-line you know we heard beans comments at the end of the year you know everybody's talking about you know tampa and the super bowl and what they were able to do affecting Mahomes and kansas city um and then i you know the, there's a status quo with star coming back and keeping what we got but you know the reality based off if we want to sign free agents if we want to make room for Watt or somebody else um you know we're most likely you know cutting vernon butler or mario addison and or quinn jefferson um so let's say we don't jj watt does not sign with the bills what do you see or what do you what do you suppose the bills can do with the d-line position heading into the year awesome Thanks, Pat. I appreciate that. So if the Bills decide not to sign J.J. Watt or if J.J. Watt decides not to sign with the Bills and they still want to make a splash, I am having a hard time wrapping my head around why Carl Lawson is currently getting a look on Track at $8.8 million a year. That seems staggeringly low to me, and I trust their judgment when it comes to projecting market contracts, but I would absolutely call Carl Lawson and see what it is that he wanted to do. And I, I'm more than happy to give him Vernon Butler's money. When it comes to the $8 million, I'm more than happy to give him. I mean, this is a guy who had 64 pressures and six sacks last year. But if you look at him versus J.J. Watt, you're getting something you're not getting, and that's age. You're getting someone who's 25 years old. So you can sign Carl Lawson to a longer contract and still have a scenario where – you have that youth now because I talked about this when I was on the rock pile report last night with drew and Chris. And I said, is the need for the bills defensive end or is the need for the bills youth at defensive end? Because that's very, very different. It's almost like you have a need and then like a sub need when it comes to that. So if they look at AJ Epides and go, Hey, we're good on the youth there, then maybe they don't care about the youth side i mean they did let go of shaq lawson to sign mario addison so they got older at the position last offseason so maybe they're not concerned with youth in which case it's jj watt and if no jj watt then i'm not really going to worry about it maybe they are concerned with youth and in which case they should kind of knock down the door of carl lawson and say hey you know i can't help but notice that cincinnati lets you go would you like to have a discussion I mean, 64 pressures over the course of a year is a really good number for a defensive end. And $8.8 million of average annual value is kind of a little weird, to be honest. It seems low to me. It seems to me that people would value a young player who seems to be coming into his own. To put that in perspective, Jerry Hughes had 54 pressures and five sacks. Carl Lawson would have been the most effective pass rusher on the Buffalo Bills last year just based on blanket raw stats. Now, I understand if Jerry Hughes probably played a higher percentage of snaps, that would be a different story. But just based on raw pressures and sacks, 
Carl Lawson would have been the most effective player on the Bills defensive line from a pass rushing standpoint last year. So that's a name that immediately comes to mind for me if the Bills don't sign J.J. Watt. I know a lot of people are Jadavian Clowney people. I've never been a huge Jadavian Clowney person. I would kick the tires on Ryan Kerrigan and see what it is that he would want. He's someone who's been aging. He's not giving you that youth. He's 33 years old. I would see what Romeo Aquara wants from Detroit. He broke out this year, but he might be a Jordan Phillips scenario. He might get paid a lot of money based on one explosive year. I mean, Track has him at a little over $10 million a year. So do you really want to cut someone like Vernon Butler and then give his money and somebody else's money to – I mean, to a scenario where you still have the most expensive defensive line in the league, because that's what got us last year. We had the most expensive defensive line in the league, and it didn't really do anything for us. Do you really want to go back to that, or do you want to invest a draft pick? But then when you have the draft pick, it's, is there going to be a player at 30? Because a lot of these really good players, they go high in the first round. So I think there are some tricky waters to navigate if J.J. Watt doesn't sign with the Bills? Because there doesn't seem to be a clear answer. Because, quite frankly, the clearest of all answers come in the top five of the draft. That's where the most obvious answers come for the Buffalo Bills when it comes to pass rush. And they're not in the top five. And hopefully, God willing, they're not going to be in the top five for a long time. Max has got something else. Max, what you got for me, man? What's up, Bruce? Uh you know, I just love picking your football brain so much. I had to come back for another question uh, and some thoughts. Um, so my next thought is we haven't really seen it with the Bills, um, but it's been making waves. We know, as uh, we saw in the Super Bowl, that the Bucks love playing three safety sets. Uh, they love playing big dime, big nickel. Um, so my thought is that it's a position that – could definitely be addressed uh we've heard it, the buffalo nickel talked about but it's never really been uh it's never really been come to fruition just based on personnel um draft decisions and so on um i'm just curious about what your thoughts are there um the two players that often i think are linked to the bills in the draft are hamza nazaldine and richie grant who are two guys who i've actually studied uh a good amount on uh, all 22 and whatnot you know um so I'm just curious about what your thoughts are there. Uh, and then, like, I know Jakeesi Tart is another very versatile option. Uh, can come in the box, can play over the top in two shells. Um, I'm just curious about what your thoughts are with that. Uh, I know it adds a an element, a new package to the off or to the defense. Excuse me, that is similar to adding a second tight end. Um, that's that's versatile. You're just adding packages to your defense, and that's my real thoughts on it uh just curious about what yours are i appreciate that max um i think jarquiski tart's gonna get paid <laughs> i really do I, I i'm a fan of jarquiski tart I, I do think he's gonna get paid um you know spot track doesn't have a specific outline for him when it comes to contracts but i think that if the nfl knows that going lighter and going lighter against teams that are going to pace and space you, that that's one of the keys. I think you're going to start to see third safeties start to become a more significant thing. What we, you know, we call it the Buffalo nickel or the big nickel. And, you know, Hamza Nasser Dean is obviously an immediate player that you attach to the bills specifically because 
of their love or reported love for Kyle Duggar last year. Now, I was more of a, a Chin guy, Jeremy Chin guy last year than I was a Duggar guy. But if they liked him, they probably like Richie Grant. I'm a huge Richie Grant guy. I love Richie Grant. I think Richie Grant would be a fantastic addition to this defense. And he played all over the field at UCF. They asked him to do a ton of different things. Played split zones, played man from the slot, was a box safety, single high deep safety. I mean, he was all over the place. And I enjoyed watching his tape. It, it gave me a little vibe. I loved watching Jaquan Johnson, but I knew that Jaquan Johnson didn't have the physical skills to do all the things that he was doing at Miami in the league. I, I feel the same kind of joy watching Richie Grant. They're very, very, very different players. Please don't think I'm copying them because I'm not. But I feel that same level of joy watching Richie Grant. But then that's taken up a notch by the fact that I think he can actually contribute at the next level. I think he can actually translate. I think he has the physical skills to be able to do that. So I'm all in on Richie Grant. I like Hamza Nasruddin. Obviously, I don't think that Kawusu Oromoa is going to be there at 30. I think that Jeremiah from Notre Dame, I think he's going to be gone. I think that there's uh, a lot of people are attaching him to the Raiders in the first round. A lot, I see a lot of mocks with him to the Raiders in the first round. So I don't, I'm trying not to even get too excited about Jeremiah Wusukoromoa being somebody who's going to be on the Bills' radar at 30 because I don't think he's going to be there. But sign me up for Richie Grant all day long. I do think that signing a third safety is going to be weird because I kind of want to extend my guys. So if you're going to sign a third safety, you're going to have a ton of money signed in safeties. You're going to have a third safety who signed as a free agent, as an unrestricted free agent like Jarquisky Tart who I think is going to get paid. Then you have Jordan Poyer, who you just signed into extension. And you have Micah Hyde, who I want to extend. That's a lot of money in safeties. So I think the better avenue is to draft them, and I'm completely on board with Richie Grant. Folks, somehow we made it 52 minutes. I don't know how we did it, but we did it. We pulled it off, and I cannot possibly thank you enough for being a part of this for jumping on with me, for having this discussion. There are so many other things you could have been doing with your time this evening. And the fact that you chose voluntarily, I'm assuming nobody held a gun to your head, to come out here and have a discussion with me means a great deal to me. We will try to do this again. We might even try and do it again next week. We probably won't do it on Wednesday, but we'll try and do it again. I appreciate it very much. And until next time, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.